Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Happy New Year to you. I'll take it. All right. That was... I really dislike it when speakers do the I couldn't hear you thing, you know, so I won't do that to you, even though that was a lackluster Happy New Year that you gave. Um, my name's Andy. I'm part of the team here. If you're new with us, it is really great to see you. Love to meet you. After, thank you so much for joining with us. I have one more bit of family business uh, to do, um, so I want to do that before we uh, return to uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and so many of you will know this already, but Dave Kernahan, who has served as our worship pastor for a good number of years now, uh, has decided to pursue a change and will be stepping down from his post uh, on the 19th of January. And he's going to be returning to the world of engineering where he came from before he joined our staff team. And this is hard news because we are losing a loved and valued staff person and worship pastor. Um, but it's also uh, good and healthy news for a couple of reasons that I just want to go into. First, uh, Dave is stepping down from staff, uh, but he's not leaving BCV. He's actually running a camera right back there, right as we speak. Um, and he still um, wants to serve and be a part of this church and be involved. Uh, and so you are still going to get the benefit of uh, his life and presence here and the benefit of his worship leading uh, on a Sunday morning in another context, no doubt. Um, so uh, it's, it's good news on that front. But I just wanted to mention as well, it's also good news because Dave and his wife Kristen did a really good job of discerning uh, this next step in their lives in community over time. And it wasn't a quick or rash decision. It, one, it wasn't one of those, you know, you know, I think God is saying this to me, and I'm just informing you of that, and you know, everybody's moving on, and we play the God card. You know, it, it wasn't that at all. They took the time to pray. They took the time to talk together, uh, and then they involved trusted and wise people from BCV and outside of BCV, no doubt, to help them weigh and test and discern, you know, is this the Lord? What is the Lord leading us into in this season, and they discerned that the Lord actually was leading them. And I may be disappointed to be losing Dave as a staff person and worship pastor, but I really respect how they did that. And, um, and when we follow the Lord's leading and discern that in community, only good things happen. So um, I feel like it's good and it's healthy, and yeah, a bit disappointing. Um, but there's, there's um, a family that's going to flourish because they're following the Lord, and we're going to flourish because we're following the Lord as well. So, um, and it's actually really great and exciting for the Kernahan family as they step into a new season, and we want to we wanna be all in on that um, as 
Um, people wisely discern God's way for them, and we want to just say how uh, proud of them we are in that. So, uh, on the 22nd, which is two Sundays from now, we are going to pray for David and, and for Kristen, and we're going to bless them uh, as part of our service, so don't miss that. We wanted to let you know this week, because it was one of those things where it kind of all came to a crescendo in the, month, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, and then we had Christmas and New Year. We wanted to make sure everybody knew uh, when we were turning back in January here, and in two Sundays' time, we'll pray for them. And for those of you who are asking, well, what on earth are we going to do for worship in the short to medium term, Harmony, uh, who is my wife and co-senior pastor, uh, and knows a thing or two about worship, will be adjusting her hours uh, to step into the place of responsibility for worship. And um, as far as long term goes, um, we thought it would be wise to take some time to think and pray and discern what exactly we are supposed to do. And we're about to step into a new building, as Alan was saying. Our needs will have changed, but also what does it take to do worship and have a worship ministry? Those, that stuff is all going to be really, really different than we've ever experienced it before in the history of our church. And we feel like we might want to see what that looks like first <laughs> and what the Lord might be saying to us and how he might be leading us. And that's going to take some time and some wise discernment in community. Um, and so uh, the board of directors and our staff team and key leaders felt like it's worth slowing that down and doing that right as much as possible. So that's what we're going to do. So any questions, you can, of course, speak to me or Harmony. Uh, and then on the 22nd, we'll be praying for and thanking Dave and praying blessing upon him and his family. But before we do that, would you just give Dave a round of applause? That's just a warm-up. We're going to have 22nd, you know. It's going to be good. Well, again, welcome back. And um, we are jumping back into the Gospel of Mark. So be excited. Um, and for any of you who are new, uh, we've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark since May of 2022. Uh, we took a break for Advent and Christmas, and now we're turning to it, re returning to it at a really important point in the book. I'm just going to pause here because I'm standing on the floor, that, bed of the floor that creaks, and it's going to drive me and other people crazy, so I'm just going to adjust. From our camera crew online, is that okay? Wonderful. I'm getting double thumbs up, so it must be really good. Okay. There, I'll be able to do this now. Um, so we did take a break for Advent and Christmas, and now we're coming back into the Gospel of Mark. And uh, this is a really important section that we're going to be in uh, today and then next Sunday as well. And you've probably heard me say this before, but it's worth kind of, as we're jumping back in, remind ourselves that the Gospels are ancient biographies of Jesus. They are eyewitness accounts that we can trust, but they're also not neutral documents. They are unapologetically trying to persuade us to put our faith in Jesus. And they make real and powerful claims about Jesus that force us to, to decide how are we going to respond. And you probably remember that Mark begins his gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, like this. He makes a claim just right out of the gate. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's, it's just like, okay, deal with it. 
That's line number one, and the rest of the book is we're going to unpack that statement there. And it's he is trying to persuade us. He's making an announcement. He's not giving advice, okay? And uh, we get to go away and decide for ourselves. And the Gospels, uh, including the Gospel of Mark, are designed to be read over and over and over again, thought through, meditated, puzzled over, that kind of thing. Um, and we have already seen Mark's intricate and intentional repetition of words and phrases and themes and ideas, and we've just seen that lead us deeper and deeper and deeper. Many of you have told me how the Spirit of God has been speaking and ministering to you as you engage with this carefully constructed, intentional work. Uh, and before Christmas, we left off with the feeding of the 4,000, which uh, the disciples didn't understand or, ex or expect, despite the fact that they had previously seen the feeding of the 5,000 a few chapters before. And Jesus asked, asked them in chapter 8, verse 17, in the middle of this episode, you know, do you still not see? Do you still not understand? And that's a really important link between that section and our section today and next week. And Mark's sophisticated and intricate arrangement of the gospel is going to be on display here. And so today we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 30. If you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words will be up there. Next week we're going to be in chapter 8, verses 31 to chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, and again, these passages are really important. It's the centerpiece of the Gospel of Mark, and it signal, it's like a hinge that the Gospel turns on. It's, um, it's a huge transition point, and it's the point where Mark's theme of who is Jesus is answered by Peter, who confesses him to be the Christ or the Messiah or the anointed royal deliverer. But then the whole second half of the gospel forces the disciples and you and me to wrestle with what kind of a deliverer, what kind of a Messiah is this Jesus? And we're going to watch the disciples, many others, and even ourselves go from blindness to partial sight to seeing Jesus clearly as we encounter him at the cross and at his resurrection and what all that means as we try and follow him in a chaotic and violent and ever-changing world. So let's talk about blindness to sight. Uh, chapter 8, verse 22 tells us that Jesus and the disciples arrive in Bethsaida, which is actually the hometown of three of his disciples, Philip, Andrew, and Peter. Uh, and a blind man is brought to Jesus, and the people want Jesus to touch this blind man. And in this miracle that we're about to jump into, there's this emphasis on touch and sight that are really important. And so in verse 23, it's, it tells us that Jesus uh, takes the blind man by the hand and leads him outside uh, the village. He takes him away from the crowd. And maybe you remember us uh, Bible nerds who preach on a Sunday uh, t telling you that in Mark's gospel, there's this recurring theme uh, where Jesus takes people away uh, from, cr from crowds. He takes them into houses. He, he takes them out of uh, big groups and into small, intimate groups, sometimes even one-on-one, -on -one, and he's getting them away from distraction, and he's, he's going to give them revelation about himself, or, or they're going to receive healing, but he gets them away from the distractions and the doubt and the unbelief of the crowds, and uh, we're still early in the new year. Where do we need to get away from the crowds and the distractions to be with Jesus? And 
to sit before him and to ask him, what are you saying to me for 2023? What are you saying for me for tomorrow? Never mind 2023. And um, I preached a New Year's Day, Sunday New Year's Day service, and I know all of you tuned in um, on that day um, and have, or have memorized it, but we actually in that talk, if, if you somehow missed it, we asked New Year's questions, a series of questions to get us into the new year. And so if that's an exercise you want to take on and do, you can find it on our website and you can go through all of that. You know, for some of us, as I was meditating on this passage, the situation we are currently in is really, really difficult. And we feel like um, there's some priorities in our lives that we just can't attend to because we're kind of being constantly taken away or taken out from that. And I just would want to throw this out there as a maybe. Maybe we're interpreting something as interruption. Maybe we're interpreting something as obstacle, keeping us from what we think we should be doing. But what if it's actually Jesus? What if he's taking us by the hand and leading us away from the crowds and the distraction and the, the sense that we just want to get on with our lives and get going. And what if the things that we're finding really painful and irritating and like an obstacle, what if it's actually Jesus saying, come away with me? Come away with me. I've got some revelation for you. I've got some healing for you. I have some things for you that you need before you can get on with the things that you feel like you're called to and the big things of life that you are just straining at the lead to get to. Well, as often happens in Mark's gospel, it then gets really weird. And we see that Jesus begins to heal this man, and it says when he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus says, do you see anything? And wow, like that's not what you'd expect. Um, and Jesus in Mark's gospel has already healed a man by spitting on his tongue. That was a few chapters ago. But what are we supposed to do with this? I'm going to give you my best shot, okay, of what we're supposed to do with this. Okay. We have to remember where Jesus was uh, due to the, the, the machinations of history, right? And um, the lands that Jesus ministered in was a mishmash of Greek or Hellenistic culture, thanks to a character called Alexander the Great. It was a, then there was Roman culture and ways, which was there, and then, of course, Jewish practice and ways and tradition. And in the ancient world, you have these cultures all mixing together. Healing was like a full-contact sport, okay? There was lots of touching and manipulation and incantations and some applications of weird substances, potions, and concoctions. And yes, sometimes including spit. And that would be more in a Greek context. That would not have been that unusual. Okay? Uh, but in a Jewish context, spit was considered unclean as our most bodily excretions. Now, if somebody came up to you and spat on you, that would be very, very offensive. Um, but in a Jewish context, it would be very offensive and carry this thing of I'm now like unclean. I'm ceremonial somehow unclean. And so big, big no-no, right? But what's interesting is we've seen, as we've seen before with Jesus, things that contaminate, he makes holy. And instead of bringing contamination upon the man, Jesus spitting on him brings healing. And it makes him whole and heals him rather than makes him unclean. But it's still really weird. And don't get any ideas. We're going to pray for some people in a minute 
no spitting, okay? I don't care what you think God's telling you. He's not telling you that. Spit on somebody in church. Okay. All right. So in verses 23 to 24, I'm rushing on here. Um, he says, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking about. How is that possible? If he's blind, how could he have known what a tree was or a, or a person was? Well, you know, there's a number of different ways. People or trees could have been described to him. He could have laid his hands on them and felt them. Uh, or, well, he wasn't always blind. But he had become blind, which I think is probably the case. We've got a progressive miracle here that's not mentioned in the other Gospels, so we need to pay attention to it. Um, and it's a healing that happens progressively or in two stages. The first stage is partial healing. And then verse 25 and 26, the man's healed after Jesus touches him again. And why is there like a two-stage thing? I think there's a couple things going on here. First thing I think is going on here is Mark is just honest, right? He's not afraid to say that Jesus had to pray twice. It's, that's the way it happened. So he's, you know, Mark's gospel is, you know, John Mark writing down the preaching thought and recollections of Peter. And Peter's never afraid to tell the truth. And it's just this is how it happened. And, you know, even if it looks a little bad, like Jesus couldn't do it right the first time. They're not afraid to say that in this way. Also, if you've spent any time praying for anyone for healing, you've probably run across this. Well, you pray a few times, and you see partial healing. And then you pray again, and lots of times you can see full healing. So to me, it's actually super encouraging. Even Jesus had to pray more than once. So if I have to pray like 20 times, then that's okay. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus healing in lots of different interesting and creative ways. And, you know, we here in the vineyard, we pray for healing because we see it in the Scriptures. Uh, we believe it's something you can learn to do and you can grow in. And if that interests you, one of the big things we want to be in our new space is a house of healing and a house of training. And we would love to train people how to pray for healing. And so if that's something that interests you, we'll be doing lots of that. Uh, as soon as we can get our little selves over into that building. But also you can start today because we'll be praying for people for any need they have, physical, emotional, spiritual, so we can actually start today. So what else is going on here besides all of that? Well, the other thing I think is that Mark is showing us something about uh, the understanding of who Jesus is from his central question in chapter 1, verse 1, who Jesus is. In uh, verses 22 to 26 alone, if you read it in through in Greek, there are eight different words for sight or seeing um, in, that, in those verses, eight different ones, okay? So that's like a big deal. That's something Mark wants us to pay attention to. It doesn't really read that way in English because to translate those different ones into English, it would just be really clunky and clumsy, um, but trust me, it's there. Um, and in the last section, again, the question Jesus had for them is, do you still not see? Are you still blind? That's verse 17 of chapter 8, right? So in our passage, he's asking the man, do you see anything? In the section before, he asked the disciples, are you still blind? Now it's, do you see anything? And the man says he sees people that look like trees. So he's moving from blindness to partial sight, and then he's going to move to full sight, right? So Mark is signaling something to us by the way he's arranged his narrative. He's signaling to us in a really genius way by placing these two narratives together, is that this is 
the journey the man's on. This is also the journey the disciples are on. And their journey is about to change right now. The man went through three stages, blindness, partial sight, full sight. The disciples are about to, aided by Jesus, they're about to go from blindness about who he is to partial sight, and then not long from now, full sight. And in chapter 8, verse 18, it says this, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear, and do you not remember? Spiritually, they, they cannot see, just like the blind man cannot see. And in our next section, which we'll get to in just a second, they're going to have moved from blindness to partial sight and partial understanding about who Jesus is. And then at the end of Mark's gospel, chapter 15, verse 39, they, along with the centurion, are going to be able to see clearly at the cross. The blind man is healed, and the disciples' spiritual blindness is about to be healed. Well, what about us? What don't we see? Are you willing to admit this afternoon that maybe there's some things about Jesus that you don't see? My sense during the worship is some of us have had such a difficult run into Christmas and Christmas that we are really struggling to see the goodness of God. We're really struggling to see it. Well, what if we ask Jesus today to give us eyes to see his goodness to us and to change our perspective. Some of us couldn't possibly see how Jesus could be relevant to our lives. We can't see how Jesus could be our savior, what importance this might have to do with us. What if we ask Jesus to help us see? What if you experience a touch from Jesus? See, touch in that miracle is really important. He was, to the man was touched repeatedly. He had to be touched twice by Jesus. He had to be led by the hand by Jesus. And he went from no sight to partial sight to full sight by being touched by Jesus. What if Jesus touched us today and we began to see? What if there were some times in your week where we allowed him even to ask us, what do we see? You know, we come to faith and we persevere in faith the same way, with continual encounters with the risen Jesus by his spirit. So are we pursuing him? Are we open to him? You know, being open to that kind of thing is a really vulnerable place. Some of us are like, I actually don't know if I want to encounter Jesus or be touched by Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We just don't know. What if one of your decisions for early in 2023 was do you know what? Before I wasn't open, but now I'm actually open to that. And what if a step for you is to decide right now in the quiet of your heart that I'm going to pray, I'm open to you, Jesus. Show me what you see. Ask me what I see. Touch me by the power of your Holy Spirit. I'm open to that. Well, then we get to a confession. And again, these next verses that we're going to be in are incredibly important for understanding Mark's gospel. There's this climax point, this transition point, and again, up until now, most have missed who Jesus is, including his disciples. Anytime faith in Jesus has turned up, it's been shown by outsiders, not insiders. 
We have had declarations of Jesus' true identity by the narrator, chapter 1, verse 1. We've had it by God the Father at Jesus' baptism, and we've had it by demons. But no human has yet said out loud who Jesus is. But Peter is about to confess Jesus as Messiah, or God's anointed royal deliverer. He's about to answer the question, who is Jesus? And one way to understand Mark's gospel is this. The first half of the book is the disciples' failure to recognize that Jesus is God's anointed deliverer. The second half of the book is the disciples wrestling with and finally recognizing what kind of a deliverer or Messiah he is, that he will suffer and die and be vindicated in resurrection. And Mark, the gospel of Mark, it turns on these verses that we're in today and will be in next week, where the disciples confess who he is but begin to wrestle with what that means that he's a suffering servant, king, Messiah. And that's going to be for us to wrestle with too. What kind of a Messiah king is Jesus? And what kind of a people are we supposed to be in response to him? What should mark us as a people? What should we expect as a people? And what kind of life are we prepared to live and to offer back to him in worship? Well, this section opens by telling us that Jesus and his disciples are on the way to villages around Caesarea Philippi. This is 25 miles north of Bethsaida, and it's known for, it's a really strange place, actually, because it's on the border of of Israel and then Gentile territory, so it's like the borderlands. It's also known for its devotion uh, to the nature god Pan. Uh, Herod the Great uh, built a temple to worship Caesar there. It's as far away from Jerusalem as you can get where the true temple is and still be in Israel. Uh, and it's a center for pagan worship. So it's there that Peter is going to confess and recognize who Jesus actually is. And I think that's on purpose because sometimes you've got to go to really dark places to see the light and the truth. And some of us are in some really dark places. And I'm praying that the light and truth of Jesus begins to shine through powerfully from this moment right now to help us see through the darkness. And then we're going to see uh, in verse 27, it begins um, in the next couple of chapters, this, there's a theme of being on the road or on the way. It's mentioned a lot. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? It's going to happen nine different times in chapters 8 to 12 where it's mentioned on the road or on the way, that kind of thing. And Jesus reveals things, challenges his disciples on the road. Uh, but what really begins to be revealed to them on the road is the way of Jesus, the road of Jesus, the path of Jesus leads towards Jerusalem and suffering, but also resurrection and, life. and it's on the way, on the road, that he asks his followers, who do people say that he is? And he's asking them for faith and judgment from them on the way, before they've arrived anywhere, before everything is revealed to them, not when they have arrived and not when all their questions are answered. And isn't that the same with us? He invites us into faith. Um, he invites us to make a judgment upon who he is, before we know all the answers, before we have any certainty, before we're 100% sure about anything, in the midst of grief and faith and success and doubt and sadness, he invites us before we have certainty 
to put our faith in him. He invites us on the way, and he invites us to follow him in his way. Life with Jesus isn't a belief, just a belief in a set of doctrines alone. It's following a risen and ruling king wherever he takes us and in the way in which he walked and still walks. So are you on the way with Jesus on his way in the way in which he walks? Or are we asking him to be our companion on our way, our road trip? And if you're like, I want to follow the Jesus way, but I don't know how, we can help. We do a thing called the Following Jesus course, and in a number of weeks when, when our life groups and courses and stuff start up uh, and we'll be in our nice, lovely building, we are going to start the Following Jesus course up again. And it's a chance for us to just explore how do we do the basics of following Jesus. How do we pray? How do we spend time with him? All that stuff. And so if you're like, look, I want to do that, but I don't know how, we can help you with that. Well, Jesus says, who, who do people say that I am? And the disciples answer, well, the people think a lot of things. And in verse 28, uh, it, they say, some say John the Baptist reincarnated. That's what Herod Antipas thought. Um, that's, you can read about that in Mark chapter 6. Some say the prophet Elijah. You know, the Judaism of Jesus' day were really fascinated by Elijah. 2 Kings chapter 2 tells us that Elijah didn't die. He was just taken up into heaven. And so the rabbis taught that the, he was a significant prophet and he was watching over Israel in a certain way. And he would return when God powerfully moved amongst his people again. So people were constantly obsessed with Elijah. When's Elijah coming back? They also say that some people say Jesus is just another prophet. And all that's like, you know, none of that's bad. That may even seem like compliments. Like some of those characters are, you know, important people in the history of God's people, but they aren't really compliments. They're wrong. They're wrong about who Jesus is. And even in our day, uh, lots of people really respect Jesus or respect people who follow Jesus. They don't want to be offensive. And they say, well, I think Jesus is like a great moral teacher or he's like a really good example for us to aim at. But we don't really agree with Mark on who he is and we don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is and we don't believe that he should have any say in our life, right? And that sounds nice because it inserts respect and stuff like that, which is important, but it's actually not that nice. It's, it's not a compliment. It denies who Jesus is. And when we do that, we put him into a manageable, safe category that allows us to continue to serve our own chosen master or allow us to be our own Lord instead of him. Jesus then goes on to, to stage two of his question in verses 29 to 30. Stage one was, who do people say that I am? But now he radically increases the intensity by saying, who do you say that I am? And he's not going to let them state the views of others or hide behind people's opinions. Uh, they're going to have to give their own answer, and so he asks them a direct question. They must risk a decision. Again, not while they have all the answers, uh, but while they still are on the way. They are going to be invited to go from passive observers and recipients of things that Jesus has to active participants in his life and mission. Because if you've made a decision about someone, you have a responsibility to them. If you're undecided about something, you can just stay on the fence, right? And it's Peter, of course, who risks it and is the representative uh, of the disciples, and he answers for the groups, and he says that you are the Messiah or the Christ. Now, we've kind of talked about this before, but uh, Christ isn't Jesus' last name, like Jesus Christ, not like forename and surname. Uh, Christ is a title. 
and it comes from Christos, which is the Greek translation um, of a Hebrew word, Mashiach, right? So Christos is the Hebrew, Mashiach, or the Greek, and Mashiach is the Hebrew. Um, and Christos, or Christ, means Messiah. They're the same word, Jesus the Messiah. When you see Jesus Christ, it's Jesus the Messiah. Messiah in Hebrew simply means anointed one. Here's the trick. Jews in Jesus' day, including the disciples, were eagerly awaiting a Messiah, God's anointed royal figure who would appear and bring God's rule and reign to the earth. He would have miraculous powers. He would deliver Israel from all their enemies and oppressors and usher in the day of the Lord. And by Jesus' time, that expectation had reached a fever pitch. They were expecting a Messiah who would come and deliver the people from the occupation and humiliation brought upon them by the Romans and the corrupt uh, religious puppet establishment of Herod, king of the Jews. Uh, they expected a strong man to set up a kingdom like all the other strong men they had ever seen throughout their entire lives. And in next week's talk, Mark's going to show us Jesus as a Messiah who exposes false hopes and selfish expectations, a Messiah who will bring God's kingdom to the ends of the earth, but through suffering and death on a cross and through resurrection, and a Messiah who invites all of us to follow him in that. So Peter's response is correct, but at this point, it's only partial sight, and we're going to see a bit why uh, next week. Again, just like the blind man, the disciples are starting to see, but the rest of the gospel, Peter and the disciples and the world, including you and including me, will need to wrestle with what kind of a Messiah Jesus is, and we'll need to look at the cross and the empty tomb in order to see clearly, to receive full sight. And Jesus next week will begin to tell them all of this. But before we get to next week, what about us? We all face these questions about Jesus at some point in our lives. Who do we say that he is? And are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to take on his way in faith or not? Are we going to keep him in the great teacher category, the, the moral example category, or the magic genie, Jesus, good luck, charm, that if I pray the right prayer in the right way, I get what I have predetermined is the best thing for me? Or are we going to keep him in the category of a savior not worth following? Or will we confess him, as Peter does, as Messiah, Christ, Lord, and take up with him on the way of discipleship, friendship, formation, suffering, transformation, mission, and empowering. And if I could just talk to those of you who've been following Jesus for a long time. Now, you may think I've been talking to people who are undecided about Jesus and urging them to make their choice today. And I am doing that. But strangely enough, I think I'm more talking to you who've been following Jesus for a long time. And to give you a little bit of comfort, I'm talking to me, who's someone who's been following Jesus or trying to for a long time. You know, in December, I've been thinking a lot about how actually new, each new season, each new challenge and stress and moment of fear, time of success, crisis, each new grief or pain point we encounter, each celebration point, in our lives brings us to this choice over and over and over again. Who do I say Jesus is and then how then am I going to live? In the face of fear, how am I gonna live? 
in the face of this job loss, this health crisis that I'm in right now, this chronic pain that I am enduring, in the midst of this terrible thing that has happened to my family or my loved ones, in light of what's happening in the world right now, the chaos and the violence, or in light of the prosperity that I've just landed in. Things are really good. Things are like so much easier. I have more power. I have more agency. I have more finance. I have more opportunity than I ever have. I'm rolling right now. It's amazing. I now have what I've long desired. My ship has come in. Who do I think Jesus is now? Do I want him? Do I want to follow him in this season? Will I confess him on the way, on these new, unexpected, even unwanted roads that we are now walking? So for those of us who already at some point in our lives have confessed Jesus, and for those who have never confessed Jesus, is it time early in 2023 to declare something? That Jesus is who Mark is trying to tell us that he is. That he's our savior. He's our brother. He's our friend. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the Christ. He's the son of God. No matter what you're facing, he's those things. Do we want to live that way in this new season? And you might be saying, I want to. I want to. I see it as the best option. But I feel like I, I want to start following Jesus, but I fear that I'm going to screw it up. Or somehow I've already screwed it up and I haven't even started. I'm not going to be very good at it. I've, I've sinned too much. I've walked too far away. Or maybe you're just feeling like a failure. You know, I feel like the disciples. I feel like I'm failing every day. And twice on Sundays, I've, maybe you feel like I've, I've walked, I've, there's some distance now between me and Jesus, and I'm just not sure what I think about that, or I've wanted there to be distance between me and Jesus. I don't think I can do it, or I'm overwhelmed by my circumstances, or look, Andy, if you really knew the truth about me, you'd know that I've been letting, that, I've been letting the side down here in faith for a while. Or maybe you're just sitting here and you're like, I just can't do it anymore. Well, the good news for you from the Gospel of Mark is this, is that Jesus loves his disciples and he helps ensure that they get there and he loves them through their failure and he reveals things to them and he empowers them and he has a place for them. He saves a place for them. He actually saves them just like he saves you and he saves me. And by following his way, even badly. They become more than they ever could have any other way. And they change the world. And you're sitting here because of them. You know, Mark's gospel in its brevity, but also in its intricate and Holy Spirit-inspired design, is inviting every single one of us to move from blindness to full sight to forget our fear and failure and to bring all that we are, our sin and our brokenness and our failure, our success, our qualifications, 
our hopes, our dreams to the foot of the cross and then to the empty tomb where we see clearly Jesus, our Messiah, Son of God, Lord of heaven and earth, the one who loves and forgives us and secures our future. We see him beckoning us in grace and mercy and peace and joy to join him on the way to the wildest and safest place that we could ever be. Why don't you stand? Just going to invite the Lord's presence. There'll be a team of people who really would love to pray on you, and again, they won't spit on you. Um, and we would love to pray for any need you have, physical or emotional or spiritual, but I did sense that um, it's early 2023, and maybe lots of us need to make a decision to come back, to come back in. Others of us need to make a decision to come to Jesus for the first time. Some of us feel like we can't see, and so people will bless you and ask Jesus to help you see. Others of you need healing. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I wish I would have. Um, that man who was blind had some really good friends. His, friends. his friends brought him to Jesus and begged Jesus to touch him. I just had a sense that some of you don't know what to do with some of your friends. You need to bring them to Jesus. So we want to pray for an evangelism anointing on you. And others of you, you're not in a good place. And the friends around you haven't done right by you. Because they've led you away from Jesus, not towards him. And so you need some new friends. So if any of that or any other need that you could possibly have, resonates with you in just a moment we're going to pray for you so holy spirit come and i pray around the room you would touch people and that where they feel blind to your goodness your power your reality your hope your peace your mercy your forgiveness particularly lord your forgiveness there's there's some of us we feel like we've done things that are unforgivable come and show us the truth of your gospel that you have paid for those things on the cross and your resurrection vindicates that you are the Son of God, the Christ, and that those uh, sins and death have been trampled over in victory, and you have led a victory party with those uh, subjugated now under your feet. Would your sight begin to come? So I just say, in whatever way anyone here feels blind, I just speak over you, see in Jesus' name. particularly see that Jesus is the most relevant, compelling, and powerful person who ever walked the face of the earth. He has never been more relevant. He has never been more present to us. And 2023 is a year where he will be lifted up in this city. So see the reality and goodness and power of the risen Christ and receive it as something that actually can sustain your soul, restore your joy, and bring you immense hope and power. So receive the power of the risen Christ by the Holy Spirit now. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you begin to encourage the broken. Show mercy to those who desperately need it. And give us strength and begin to heal the sick and injured in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.